Mark 9, 1 through 13. And he said to them, truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God has come with power. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before him Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come and they have done to him everything they wish, just as his just as it is written about him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. A little loud, all right. Good morning. How are we? We doing all right? Hey, we look great. That's half the battle. That's what my mom always says. Um, hey, I don't know what it is, but like every time I've preached the past three times, it's just been raining outside. So I don't know what that says. Maybe that's good. Rain is good sometimes. Sometimes it's not good. Um, but either way, I think that uh, we should just probably pray. So I'm going to pray. <laughs> That's all right. Father, we thank you that you're good, that you're good to us, that you love us, um, that you're for us. And this morning, what we need is to hear your voice. We need you to speak to us. Um, we have so many other influences and so many other things just vying for our attention. So we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would open our ears to hear this morning. We love you and we praise you and we just invite you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, I grew up in Colorado, which has nothing to do with my opening illustration, but sometimes I just like to brag. And last week, Jeremy talked about uh, anyone who loses their life for my sake will find it. So it kind of makes me feel better about that because I left Colorado to come here for the sake of the Lord. So um, we're here in Columbia, Missouri, but I grew up in Colorado and every year right before school started, one of my buddies he, uh, he would have a big birthday party. It was like the thing, Jared Ratchkowski's pool party every year. And there would be a select few on the invitation that would uh, get to come back to his house that night and spend the night, you know, like the select crew, like who's really tight with Jared. So the pool party became this kind of like social thing. Like you'd walk around, you'd try to make eye contact with people like, hey man, what are you doing tonight? Like, uh, just going home. Like, oh yeah, bro, me too. But secretly, I'm going to the party. I just wanted to feel bad, you know what I'm saying? Or you'd walk around and be like, hey bro, are you spending the night tonight? Like, yeah, and then you give that little head nod, like, let's go, we made it, we're cool. Jared Ratchikowski invited us to spend the night, we are in. Now, it's a little bit what I would imagine the disciples feeling in this moment, right? Jesus kind of throws out this vague invitation to three of them, to Peter, James, and John. He's like, hey, we're going to go up the mountain tonight. He's like, me? Okay, up the mountain. I have no idea what you're talking about, but let's go. And I can imagine, like, Peter walking around, seeing Thomas, like, hey, bro, you going to the mountain tonight? He's like, what mountain? He's like, I don't know, man. I don't know anything about a mountain, nothing. But Peter, James, and John, they get this invitation, right? And it comes right on the heels of Jesus teaching about giving up their life 
for his sake so that they might actually find life. And then he actually says this. He says, there are some standing here with us that will not taste death until they see that the kingdom of God has come in power. And the rest of the story is actually a direct, right away, immediate promise to what Jesus has said, that the kingdom of God comes in power, that the kingdom of God, it comes in the revealed person of Jesus is unveiled. And it's a moment in the manifest presence of God. So one of the things we notice about Jesus all the time as we read through the gospels and Mark, we see it all the time. We've been, we've been looking at it in our series on practicing the way of Jesus is how often Jesus would get away, right? If we, if we look, we see that he's sneaking away to the desert, that he's literally climbing up mountains, that he's getting up early just to sit and be with the God that he called father and listen to him. I mean, the disciples had to be curious, like, what is this dude doing? Every time I wake up, he's gone. Every time I look away, he's just kind of scurried off to be by himself. And they're curious. They're like, what is he doing over there? But eventually Jesus, he actually invites a couple of them with him. And that's the story that we enter into today. And most scholars agree that Mark is very deliberate. The author Mark is very deliberate in him saying, and he led them up a mountain. And he calls it a mountain. He doesn't describe what the mountain is. And it's actually to, for us to fasten in our own imagination and our own hearts, our own mountain to walk in and walk up with Jesus. So the invitation and what we're going to talk about today, the, the invitation from thousands of years ago to walk up the mountain with Jesus and to listen to him is still here today. So that's what we have. We have two things in the text this morning. We have a moment with God and then we have one invitation or one command. We have a moment and an invitation. So Jesus, he throws out this ambiguous invitation to the, to the guys, to the fellas, to come up on this mountain with him. And then it says, six days later. And while this phrase, six days later, it actually gives a nod to Moses in the Old Testament and in, 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 the, in the story of Exodus. And it's in this six-day wait that Jesus is preparing them to reveal his true nature in the exact same way that he did to Moses, right? Exodus chapter 24, verse 15, it says this, when Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days, the cloud covered the mountain and on the seventh, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like an all-consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered into the cloud as he went up on the mountain. See, the mountain is this symbolic thing for the presence of God. So the boys, they actually have this in their mind as they walk up there, right? Because the beginning of creation, the story that they're living their lives out of has been one where they've been driven out of the presence of God and they're doing everything in their power just to get back, right? The story of Adam and Eve in the, in the, in the story of creation, they, it says that they walk and they talk with God in the, in the cool of the day. They are in the presence of God. But then with one planted word of deception, this thing called sin entered into the story. And sin is just us trying to meet our deep need with our own resources. And that's what they do until they are driven out of the presence of God. And so Peter, James, and John, they have this story in the subtext of their life as they're longing like every human being to get back into God's presence. And that's what happens. And they arrive on the mountain and then it says this, there he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before him Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. I, I remember the first time I heard that word transfigured. You know what I'm saying? Like that was like my favorite thing. People started to ask me, I, I had no idea what it meant, but, but I would just, anytime I could drop it in any spiritual conversation, I would do it. Cam, what have you been reading lately? I've just been really spending a lot of time studying the transfiguration. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it, it, is, it might be the most spiritual phrase. I was on a call this morning 
and they knew I was preaching and they said, hey, Ken, what are you preaching on this morning? I was so excited to tell them the transfiguration, like nothing big, man, nothing. It's just something slight, the transfiguration. Like I have no idea what it means. Most people don't. They're like, yeah, I think it was this weird thing where Jesus like lights and booms the voice of God, maybe. Like, I don't know. The transfiguration, bro, you get it. But the transfiguration, the things we do to sound spiritual, right? Like we just, any chance we can get to just really make ourselves sound spiritual, I'm gonna jump on it every chance. But all it really means is just to be transformed. And Jesus was in this moment, he was, he was human. He was flesh and bone, Jesus. And then all of a sudden he wasn't. His clothes became whiter than anyone could bleach. That's not even the message translation. That's the NIV. He's saying, try to bleach it. Try to do everything you can. You cannot make anything this white. That's how white it was. And then it says that his face shone like the sun. Here, another nod to Moses, right? Who, who comes down from his encounter with God and his face is shining. This is Jesus in the full glory of his humanity, the one true human being of all history. But then there's more. Like I said, his clothes became white as light. Now this again, this points our first century Jewish boys back to Daniel chapter seven, where at the end of what we call the Old Testament, Daniel's prophecy about the ancient of days or God himself, where his clothing was white as the light. It says this, Daniel says, as I looked, thrones were set in the place and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was as white as the snow. His hair of head, the hair of his head was white like wool. So Jesus displayed his fullness of his humanity, but also right here, this is Jesus and the full glory of his divinity on display. This is Jesus revealing that he's not just a man. This is where he, he, who he is is put on display that he's not just a man with healing powers and great advice, but he is God. It pulls what's been on the inside of Jesus all along onto the outside. It's like he's been turned inside out, that the glory that's been inside of him is now revealed and it can be seen on the outside. And so this moment, this experience, what it demands is a completely different view of how we see Jesus. It actually totally reorients even the way that the disciples are to relate to Jesus. See, because if Jesus is a good teacher, that's one thing. If he's a social activist, that's another. If he's some political reformer, that's something entirely different. But if he's a man with powers, that's something. But this is a moment where Jesus reveals that he's all of that and more. That this man from the Middle East, this peasant born into a stable, he claimed to be God and he was inviting some of his close disciples up to see that is exactly who he is. And this demands a completely different response, right? Like his teaching, that's, that's worth following. That's worth trying to, you know, apply some things, good application, three steps on how to follow Jesus. There's his teaching. There's some good stuff there. That's one thing. His talk and demonstration of the kingdom, well, that's worth participating in for sure. A cause that's worth getting behind. His healing, well, that's worth, that's worth seeking for, for myself and worth bringing my friends to. But if he's God, if he's really the ancient of days, the creator, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, if he is all of that, there's only one response to that Jesus and it's worship. And so Peter, he, he was kind of close to this. He, 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 he definitely jumps in. It says he was so terrified that he just started talking. You guys have those friends? If you don't have those friends, you're that friend. I think I'm that friend, right? I get nervous and I just start gabby mouth, man. Like I just can't shut up. I don't know what it is. And that's kind of Peter, right? He just starts talking. He's like, oh Jesus, wow, great outfit, bro. I, I, I think I know what we should do. We should build tents. That's what we should do, right? Like that's, that's Peter though. He's, he's hilarious, but he's actually not too far off. See here, tents, it's not just this like crazy thing that 
people do outside to like put themselves in risk and danger and avoid electricity. I hate camping, so I'm not a tent guy. That's what I hear when I hear tents or shelters. But, but what Peter had in mind was, was a tent of meeting or a temple or a tabernacle, the place where God's presence would dwell with his people. And it's because Peter, well, he wants to stay in the presence of God as long as possible. And see, even though he didn't fully understand and he was a little chatty, Peter realized something. He realized he was in the presence of God himself. Said another way, he was experiencing the glory of God. Not the fame, the way that we interpret that word, but the, the weight of God's presence and the weight of his goodness. The heaviness of all of that is what they were experiencing. And they can't help but bend over in awe of who Jesus is, the beauty and the majesty of who he is. They bend down and they fall and they tremble in fear. And Jesus, he bends over and he touches them. He said, don't be afraid. But what they're experiencing, what these disciples are experiencing is what the scriptures would call the fear of the Lord. They're experiencing this holy awe of who God is and it drives them to the ground in worship. A.W. Tozer, he said some 100 years ago that the church's greatest need is to elevate and purify our view of God. And how much more true is that today? Can I say in 2021, man, we need to rediscover what it means to have a healthy fear of God, a healthy fear of the Lord. We need to elevate and purify how, how, just how good and holy and set apart he is. We need to see him not for who we want him to be, or, but we need to see him for who he actually is. The ancient of days, he's God, he's set apart, he's holy. A couple years ago, I had a friend who... Uh, <laughs> I have, I have this like kind of ministry man crush on this guy and my buddy kind of met him. So he invited me out to kind of hang out with him. Um, and I was like, so excited. Okay. Don't judge me. Okay. Don't judge me. If Patrick Mahomes walked in here, you guys would be all giddy too, but I was giddy to just see this dude. Okay. And I actually picked him up at the airport with my buddy. So I pull up in the car and he looks back and I'm, he's like, he's a nice guy. So he introduced himself. And then he says, Hey, so Cam, you're in ministry. And I just turned around and said, uh, thank you so much for everything. I just like melted down. Like I didn't know what to do. I was like, oh my gosh. I was so, it was, and I was just embarrassed. Drove the rest of the cars with my head down, like try to turn up the music. Like I didn't know what to do. Which is like really hilarious until it's like really embarrassing and it's not. But I actually felt this, <laughs> I felt this conviction from the Holy Spirit, even that weekend of just, I felt this, just sense this gap in the, in the awe and reverence I had for this man, this man who I loved and admired and, and learned so much from, like he, he deserved my respect, but, and then just the casualness that I approached God with. And I sensed that gap in my life. See, we need a deeper sense of the weight of who Jesus is. See, a couple weeks ago, we, we saw the humility and the gentleness and the lowliness and the willingness of Jesus. But here we get to see the might and the beauty and the holiness and the splendor of who Jesus is, that he's perfect, that in him is no darkness at all, that he's completely set apart, that there are none like him. And it creates this reverence in us. And even as we sing this morning, the Psalms say that he inhabits the praises of his people, that he's here, that he's holy, that he's worthy of our songs being lifted up. It's why we start every week with a call to worship because we're saying baseline, all we know right now is we're gonna start is God, you are worthy of our worship. So we stand to just try our best as many little human beings to try to worship all that you are and all that you've done. 
And for some of us, we know these experiences that Peter, James, and John have had, right? Big moments, experiences with God that are marking to your life. We, we actually call them mountaintop experiences, right? Like it's real, like we've experienced these things. But then we look at our own current situation and we think, I don't know who that was. <laughs> you, you, you look back and you just, there, 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 there's these moments that you're like, I knew God, I was in the presence of God, but here I am now. I, I, I'm so deep in my own sin. I don't even know who that person was. And I want to look at Peter just for a second, just a, just a quick side diversion here. But as we look at Peter's story we, and coupled in with this story, we see that your humanity your personness, it does not discount your experiences with God, right? Like this passage, we see Peter encountering the, the glory of God in a way that none of us ever have. And then we see a couple days, a couple weeks later, he's around a fire denying Jesus around by, to a 12-year-old girl. He says, aren't you the one who rolls with Jesus? He's like, oh, that Jesus that I just saw in all of his glory? Don't know the guy. Your humanity does not deny your experiences with God. The journey of following Jesus is one of mountaintops and valleys, but we need to have space in our theology for both. We need to have space in our understanding of who God is and how we walk with him for both our own waywardness and also the mighty experiences that we have with God. And it's because it's always been about Jesus. It hasn't been about your faithfulness. It's been about his. And that's actually the point of even Elijah and Moses being there, right? Elijah, representative of the prophets, Moses, representative of the law, and they both defer to Jesus. This is Mark's way of saying Jesus is the fulfillment of them both. And what does that mean? It means that he is the one it all builds up to. He's the apex of humanity. He's the apex of human history and all of God's story. Hebrews 1 says this, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in many different ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things through whom he also made the universe. The son is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He's saying he used to speak through the prophets, but now he has spoken through his son, Jesus. He is fulfilling all of what the prophets said. And then he's doubling down on the law and what he says to, in a rebuke to the Pharisees, right? He says, if you believed Moses, you would believe me for he wrote about me He's saying the law, it all points to me. I come, came not to abolish the law, but that it might be fulfilled in and through me. He's saying the prophets, the law I came, it's all been about Jesus in this moment. And so what does this story have to do with us? And how do we learn to follow Jesus? Well, far more than he is a teacher or a social activist, Jesus is the God of the ages. He is God and he's worthy of our worship. But then the story, it continues. There's a moment, but then there's an invitation. And on the mountain, the voice booms down over creation and it says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. There's one command in the whole passage. There's one command for us as disciples of Jesus in this story. Listen to him. My version had an exclamation point. I don't know if that was in the original language, but it's probably serious. Listen to him. This story is about getting up the mountain with God and listening to him. So a few thoughts as I close on listening to Jesus. John 10 says that Jesus is the good shepherd and his sheep know his voice. The most basic posture 
of a disciple of Jesus, as an apprentice or a learner or a follower of Jesus, is sitting in his presence and listening to him. I'd argue all the practices, all the disciplines are all designed to help us come into the quiet to listen to God. Silence, solitude, prayer, community, reading scripture. It's all so that we posture and position ourselves as learners at the feet of Jesus, students who long to just listen to him. Now, I don't know about you, but I have this, I have this practice that I do occasionally, very inconsistently, where I will just set a 10-minute timer on my phone and just go be in the quiet. Um, sometimes I do it like five times in a day. Sometimes I don't do it for like five weeks, okay? But our life has been a little crazy the past couple weeks, and um, I just felt like I, I need to get alone for a second. So I, I just hit my phone. I said, hey, Siri, we set a timer for 10 minutes, and I huck my phone. I'll get it away, because if it's close, I'll be on YouTube like that. So, but anyways, I, I'm sitting in the quiet, and it's crazy. Like, I, <laughs> you ever been to a concert? And, it, and it's so loud and you walk and you get in your car and your ears are just ringing. I don't know what the science is behind that, but it's crazy. But your ears just start ringing. I promise you, I sat in the quiet for like two minutes and my ears just started ringing. And I just had this sentiment. I'm like, my life is so loud right now. I don't know if anybody else can experience that or if anybody else relates with that, but my life just feels loud. It feels busy. I feel like I got so much in there and I step away for two seconds that my ears are ringing. Like my life is a concert. And I just got in the car and I'm like, what is going on? And I just wonder if, if, if as we hear that invitation, if there's even space for us to listen to him, to truly listen and seek out and listen to his voice. Could we even hear what he's saying to us? Second thing, listening is a form of yielding to God. Okay. Jesus would often say things like, he who has ears, let him hear. Basically saying like they have ears, but they're not listening. And there's this thing in the Hebrew Bible called the Shema, which means to listen or to hear. And what it means is just to pay attention or to focus on. It also means to respond. See, the word listen and the word obedience, they have no distinction here in the passage, right? He's not saying, uh, hey, listen to me, hear what I'm saying, and obey. He's just saying, listen to me. It's like Psalm 27, where we say, listen to my voice, God. Hear my voice and be merciful. That word is Shema. It says, Shema my voice and be merciful. He's not saying, hey, listen to my voice, just hear me. And if you get around to it, like respond to it. He's saying, God, hear my cries. And I'll know you'll hear my cries when you are merciful to me. Makes me think of Blakely, right? Um, Like... (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. It's so young. I'm like, how are you already ignoring me? Like she will actively ignore me. I thought, I thought I was going to wait till she was like 12 for that, but she's two years old. I'm like, Blakely, it's time to go to bed. Eye contact. And she will immediately just look away. I'm like, Blakely, you are two. Like you should like, no, like it's time to go to bed, sweetie. And she'll just kind of wander away. Like she's actively ignoring me. So what Kayla and I'll do, we'll say, Blakely, are you being a good listener? And you know what we're not saying right there? We're not saying Blakely, do your ears work, honey? Because we know they work because Dr. Wilson did a test on you and we know that they work. We're saying, Blakely, are you obeying me? Not just do you listen to me, not just do you hear me, but do you obey what I'm saying? There's no separation here. To listen to Jesus is to obey Jesus. And I mean, this is kind of where the rubber meets the road, right? Like so many of us, we identify as followers of Jesus, but we ask like, do you follow him? Eh, Well, like most of the things, you know? 
but do you do what he says? We can't follow Jesus without listening to him, without obeying him. Otherwise, we're not following him. And I know for some of us, for me, this is like a trigger word, right? Because I grew up in obedience-based Christianity and not under the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus. And some of the presentations of what it meant to be a Christian was so distorted and so far from God's heart that it makes me, anytime you say, hey, you got to do this, I just want to push it away. Because a lot of the representations I had of Christians growing up were, you ever like try to keep a beach ball under the water? Like, it's like, oh, it's going to bubble up. Like, you're just like, whoa, keep the beach ball down. That's kind of how I saw Christians growing up. It was like these people who were like, I love Jesus and this beach ball like always wants to pop up, but I'm just trying to like keep it down. God is good all the time. I promise. Like, they were stuffy and stiff. So I'm like, dude, I don't, I don't want that. And that's one of the reasons it's so hard for us to grasp that, Jesus, that following Jesus is actually, listening to Jesus is actually meant to be an easy thing. It's meant to be light. It's not meant to be a heavy burden, but a light one. Right, 1 John chapter 5 says this, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, that we listen to him. And it says this, and his commandments are not burdensome. The Greek literally means that it's not meant to be heavy on you. Even Matthew chapter 11, right, the invitation of Jesus, where he says, come to me all who are weary, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he says, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And a yoke in this current time would have been a, a set of teaching. He would have been speaking as a rabbi saying, listen to my teaching, my yoke, it's, it isn't heavy. I'm not trying to put a lot on you. Eugene Peterson says it this way, learn from me and I'll show you how to get a real rest. I'll show you how to live light and free. The teachings of Jesus, the commands of Jesus are not meant to be heavy, but they're meant to bring rest to your souls. Obeying Jesus, listening to him is not meant to be a heavy yoke, but a light one, one that brings freedom and not constraint. And we all have these tendencies when we listen to hear it, but to not really hear it, to have ears, but not to hear. And some of it is how we have distorted the word, like the word conviction. See, as the spirit speaks to us and brings things up in our own life that are contrary to the teachings of Jesus, the spirit is always, always, always for your freedom and never for your condemnation. Every single time that we hear the spirit leading us in a certain way, it is always for our freedom if there's a sin that we feel like we need to confess, if there's a, a person that we feel like we need to ask for forgiveness from or even to forgive in our own hearts, if there's things that we're spending more time and resources and money on than we know that we actually should be, that we're not listening to, oh, listening to Jesus, we're not obeying Jesus, it's only for your freedom that he brings it up, not for your condemnation. So even now as we think, are there things that need to be brought to the light, the desire for security and affection and control. We need to, as the author of Hebrews says, we need to listen to his voice and harden not our hearts because today is the day of freedom. We need to listen to him. Finally, before I close, listening is a form of waiting on God. So we, so much like Peter, like we want to, we want to jump on it, right? Like, what can I do? Jesus, great outfit. Let's go. What tense? Let's go do something, right? But so often, even in the text, right? This is after six days. Listening to Jesus is slow, it's sitting with God. It's this deep listening. It's training ourselves to relate to God totally different than how we do text messages and retweets and emails, but it's to waste time in his presence and wait and listen. See, here, here at Trinity, we have an extraordinarily high view of the Bible. And we believe like what John Piper says when he says, you want to hear God speak? Open up your Bible and he'll speak to you. And we believe that 100% we do. 
But we also believe that the Holy Spirit is active, that he's alive, and that he has direct access to my mind and my imagination, that he can place a word or a picture or a phrase. But in order for this to happen, we need to have expectations for it as well as we need to create space for him. I mean, it's so easy to just open our word. John 1, the word became flesh. All right, God spoke to me today. The word is flesh. It's this general information about God, but it's something entirely different to sit and to ask God, God, how do you see me? What does your word want to say to me this morning? What do you want to teach me? Who who is somebody in my life that I can bless this morning and, and allow space for God to speak direct things into your heart and life? See, it's in the waiting, it's in the quiet, that information turns into communication. That's what Dallas Willard says when he says, learning to hear God is much more about being comfortable and continuing conversation and learning to constantly lean on the goodness and love of God than it is than turning God into an ATM for advice or turning the Bible into a crystal ball. I mean, I think, think about even the language we use. I, I'm, just, I'm just working on my relationship with God. Like, what does that even mean? When I'm working on my relationship with people, it's usually a communication conversation where I'm talking, they're talking. It's not just where I go look up things about them and I'm saying my relationship is getting way better because I know more about you. It's this continual conversation about being in the presence of another. Willard, again, he says this, I mean, who does not think there's much more to a personal relationship? After all, how powerful, kind, and thoughtful is Jesus when he says, I have called you friends or This one, and look, I am with you every minute, even to the end of the age. See, there's a threat for us to actually miss out on union and communion with Jesus, to fall into reading the scriptures purely for information and then pray these one-sided monologue type prayers without creating space for the spirit of God to speak to us, like directly to us. But to do this, we have to learn how to wait to wait on him, to wait on his voice, to be okay in the silence. It's kind of like the difference between like a first date and old married couples, you know? Like the first date, any moment of silence feels like an eternity and you just got to fill that space, right? You're like, hey, how's it going? Great, good. And um, well, who's your family? Like, right, you got to like fill the space. But you ever see like an old couple, like they just sit at a coffee shop together and they just like sit there and they just don't talk at all. I'm like, what are you guys doing? But they just enjoy one another's company. They're okay in the quiet. The more comfortable you are in a relationship, the more you are okay with the silence and the quiet with that person. Kayla's telling me that all the time. Cam, it's okay for us to just sit here and not talk. It's okay, right? As we grow in relationship, that's how it works. We're more okay with the quiet. A couple of years ago, I went to one of my, my sister plays uh, basketball at the University of Creighton, and we went to one of their games, and they had this uh, halftime little thing where they had this little girl kind of walk out. They gave her a mini ball, and they had this hoop up, and she had to basically be blindfolded. It was like an eight-year-old girl, and she had to go put the ball into the hoop, and the crowd was supposed to direct her, right? Well, a bunch of random people trying to yell a bunch of random different things on telling her where to go got totally messy, right? So they're just like yelling, left, right. Oh my, like they're getting mad at this eight-year-old girl, right? They're just yelling at her. And she's wandering around. She's totally far off, like not even close. And there was this beautiful picture. (laughs) Her dad walked down on the court and just started whispering in her ear, come this way, honey, come this way. Over here, two more steps, a little bit further. And then you see her put the ball in the basket. 
Sorry, I didn't know that was going to make me. Woo. We need God's voice. You, we live in an information age that has so much, so many people trying to tell you how to live, what to do, what not to do, all of it just bombarding us like nonstop. What we need more than ever is not just information, but we need the Holy Spirit to speak to us. We need God's voice. We need it. And can I say something? He longs to speak to you. He's not far off. He says that it, he said, fear not little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom of God. He longs to speak to you. He loves you and he wants you. And even as we enter into prayer, it's not because of our own goodness or our own morality or because we've earned his voice, but it's through Jesus. We're about to enter into this time of, of communion and communion is looking back at another mountain See, there's this beautiful, the Bible's so beautiful. There's this beautiful compare and contrast between this, this mountain and another mountain, the mountain that Jesus would go up to die and to bear the weight of the sins of humanity. See, in the transfiguration, Jesus, he's revealed in all of his glory. But in Golgotha, on the other mountain, he's revealed in shame. Then in the transfiguration, Jesus, he's clothed in a white robe. But in Golgotha, he's stripped completely naked. In the transfiguration, he's, he's flanked by Moses and Elijah. But on Golgotha, he's between two criminals. The transfiguration, he's covered by a bright cloud, but on Golgotha, he's covered in darkness. In the transfiguration, Peter says, it's good to be here. But as he's up on that mountain, Peter says, I've never knew him. I don't know that man. In the transfiguration, the father's voice is loud, but in Golgotha, his voice is silent. And Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, so we look back to celebrate all that Jesus did so that now we can enter into this communion and this union and this relationship with him. So in a minute, we're going to take communion right after I pray. And we do so as a celebration of all that Jesus has done to create a way for us to listen to Jesus. And that we step into this, that God is with us, that he's saved us, that he's forgiven us, that he's healed us but there's also more coming. Let's pray.